Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. G'day, Ellie. Hello, Graham. We had an interesting encounter a few weeks ago. Uh, yes. Mm, what was did. that? That was sitting in a boat on the Clarence ah. River in northern New South Wales. Yes, yes, that was a good encounter. Highlight of my life, in fact. Really? One of the highlights, yeah. Doesn't say much for the rest of them. No. We've been talking for ages about going fishing, and we actually did go fishing, mm. and I caught some fish. You actually caught the biggest fish you've ever caught, I think, did you? Told you, highlight of my life. There you go. Yeah. And it was it was quite interesting how you did it because you brought along a telegraph pole for a fishing rod. Yeah. Okay. And, and I use, by comparison, a matchstick for a fishing rod because I fish really light and you came as though you were fishing for great white sharks. Because you're a champion fisherman, so you know what you're doing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I tried to tell you that before you started fishing. And my line was... Your line was way too heavy and too yeah, thick. Okay. And when you put the bait on, you cast it. And I said, Ellie, you need to use a lighter rod. Mm-hmm. And when you cast it, the line went out a little bit and the sinker swung back and hit the side of the boat and the, <laughs> and the bait dropped <laughs> under the boat, didn't it? Well, uh, you, you, uh, you know, you do exaggerate a little bit sometimes. Just a little bit. Yeah, but how far do you reckon you went? Three feet? Oh, come on. And, and I, while I'm laughing and you're trying to sort out what happened to the line on your reel, yeah. your telegraph pole bent yes. fairly substantially. It did. In three feet of water. I thought there was something wrong with it. You thought, yeah, because you've never experienced that before. No. And up came the biggest brim that we've seen for a long time, 42 centimetre brim. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing, yeah. And then I told you not to use that rod anymore, to use lighter rod. And, of course, you being you, you said, no way, this rod is perfect. It's already caught the biggest fish. Well, I didn't say that, but me being me thought that. You did, and I could read your mind. Yeah, you can. That's uh, always... And then... Very upsetting. The twisted irony of the little light rod I was using had a big fish on it and the tip broke off it. That's right. I didn't say anything though, did no, I? No, but you laughed. I did. You laughed. I did. Mm. But the other thing you, you did that was really good. Oh, no. Here we go. No, it was really good because a lot of times when you own a boat and you take people fishing, they will go, oh, that was great. Thanks very much. See you next time. Mm-hmm. But you actually made a point of putting some money in the bank to cover the cost of the bait and the fuel. I yeah yeah and and you actually put in twice as much that you needed to oh well I didn't put in in proportion to the monetary value but in proportion to or somewhat in proportion to my gratitude and the pleasure I had derived from it so I tend to value things differently uh, in terms of money sometimes yeah so maybe that's a good topic money yeah money yeah, I was going to say, I do flamenco guitar lessons. I take them. I don't For money? Or? Teach them. No, I take them. Right. I have a teacher. You pay a teacher? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I found him on Guntree uh, a couple of years ago, and he was advertising at $50 per hour. I've never paid him $50 an hour. From the first day, I've given, given him $60 an hour. Well, um, you're like me. Yeah, because he's done the training, he's got the knowledge, he's highly skilled. 
you know, I know what people's work is worth. And so he actually, um, he actually took on a full-time job and he sacked all his other students, but he kept me. It's not because of the money. I think he enjoys making music with me. But, yeah, I don't think that value is always set by the, by the market. And I think that what society tells us about money and the messages it sends aren't always right. I'm the same, Ellie. If, if we've got a few tradesmen around here who, you know, come and do odd jobs, there's one lovely young guy who's a qualified electrician. And he also works as a labourer because there's not that much electrical work. And he charges something like $70 an hour to be an electrician and $25 an hour if he's labouring. And he comes and he'll do a bit of work for me here and, and he'll say to me, oh, that's $100. And I say, yeah, that's worth more than $100. So I'll give him $150. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've got no money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> but what do we store away? If we're not storing money in the bank and we're being generous of heart and spirit, what are we storing away? Yeah, I, th- I think um, that if our bank account is low and because we've been generous, I think that we're adding to another kind of account that isn't a financial account. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're suggesting is that we are more than just our money. Yep. Who we are and our happiness and our security and safety uh, depends on more than what we have in the bank. Yes. And of course, you and I can talk about this comfortably because both of us are multimillionaires. You are. <laughs> you are. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a, a friend of 30-odd years the other day. He lives in another state and he's retired, same profession as me. He was a pilot. Yep. And he's got a lot of money in superannuation. He's got a lovely home and he's mm-hmm. got the best of everything. But I, I get a sense that he's bored and not happy. And the other day he asked me when I was going to retire and I said to him, um, I've probably got to work till I'm 70. And he said, oh, good grief, I'll will you out in a wheelchair. And I, He said, why don't you retire now? I said, well, I've got no super, I've got no money. We decided, Michelle and I, that we were going to put whatever money we had into infrastructure on the farm that would sustain us. Should there be some kind of GFC or we, we lose everything overnight, a, mm. a, a major recession or, God forbid, a depression? Who knows? Mm. So we turned all our available monies into uh, you know putting solar on and putting extra water capacity in and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And I told him my, my superannuation account was less than $10,000 and he nearly died. And he said, a month? I said, no, <laughs> $10,000, that's it. Yeah. And he was gobsmacked. He didn't, he didn't respond for a minute. And I said, but you know what? From talking to you, I think that I'm probably a lot happier than you are. Because I'm not worried that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and all my money will be gone. I'm not worried that I might be swindled by a financial planner. I'm not worried that the banks, the banks or the investments that I'm involved in are going to collapse overnight. I don't have those worries. I don't have the money. But what I do have is a sense of social awareness. I feel like I'm contributing to society. I, I give a lot of myself uh, to people. Service is an important thing. Yeah. And so do you. And really the best things in life aren't things. The best things in life is our commitment to serve others and what comes from that. And you know what else you have that you wouldn't say, but I can tell you, you've got a lot of people who, who really appreciate you, you know, who love you. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of lives that you've uh, you've impacted uh, for the better. Not all for the better. 
I do tend to shoot my mouth off a bit too quickly. You told me that before we started. No, no, I did, I did, yeah. but, but that's okay. Um, and I love you for that because yeah. that's. I, I want friends who are going to call me on my stuff. Yeah, so. no, no, no. That's that's good. Yeah. If we, if we were both perfect, we'd have nothing to talk about, would we? That's right. And and, and if everyone was perfect, no one would want to listen because yeah. there'd be nothing to gain. Well, so, look, look in my own in my own circumstances, um, I thought I was doing well in Sydney. Years and years ago, you know, almost 20 years ago, um, had a high-flying corporate job and uh, very secure income, good income, came to Queensland and there was no work for me here. And I came to Queensland because my mother had moved here and she had been just diagnosed with Alzheimer's and I had the only grandchildren, you know, in the hope of being able to, to, to help my parents a little bit, which never worked out for other reasons. But then, you know, there followed 10, you know, more than 10 years, maybe 12 years. First of all, uh, I lost everything I had. I had a, you know, a million dollar property portfolio, different houses across Queensland. But I lost the, lost all of that because I had no income. And I had to sell the houses to live off them for a, for a few years. And then came a period of of about 12, 13 years where I couldn't get any steady, solid job. Mm. I was unemployable. My mm. skills weren't required. I was overskilled for everything until uh, a few years ago where, where you know, I, I landed in, in the work I do now, which I believe God had prepared for me. And um, But what that basically meant is that even though I, I owned my own home, we'd only ever paid interest only, so really the bank owned it, and I was looking uh, at one of these retirement calculators. You ever looked at one of those, Graham? Uh, yeah. See how much money you need to retire? Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And uh, and I highly depressing. <laughs> and I saw a website uh, or a Facebook post. You know, ten countries where you can live comfortably on a modest sum, and one of them was Spain. I said to Anna, "Well, we, we can go to Spain, you know, and when we retire." Uh, but she wasn't that keen on that. So, at the end of the day. Uh, like you, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. I don't look at to the future with any fear. Uh, I don't look at what is or isn't in the bank account and, and worry about it. But for a lot of people, it's what drives the decisions they make. In, the key thing that drives the decisions they make in, in life. Their insecurities around the future, their finances, and uh, whether they'll have enough money. Yeah. It, it hit me one day, I was, my co-pilot and I were in Melbourne on an overnight and we'd gone down to have breakfast together in the, one of the food halls in the centre nearby and we went to get some cash out and I went before he did and I got my cash out and he was waiting behind me. The machine asked me whether I, whether I wanted a receipt or not and I said no. And when I pressed no, he laughed and he said, I bet you don't want a receipt because you don't want to look at how much you've got left in the bank. <laughs> And I said, how did you know? He said, because I'm not going to get a receipt either. I'm in the same boat. Um, and we both laughed about that. But it, it was true, you know. I was always concerned about not having enough money to pay the bills and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, when a person gets that low, uh, all sorts of thoughts come into your mind about what you would actually do to get the money you need to survive Ooh. if you broke. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you wouldn't do? That I wouldn't do, yeah. There's a lot of things I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. What sort of things would you not compromise for money? Oh, well, I wouldn't compromise my my values. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, who I am as a as a man. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever want to cheat anyone. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever want to be dishonest with someone or, or steal from them. 
I wouldn't want to stop being generous with people as much yeah. as I could. I wouldn't want to uh, retreat into myself and become like, you know, Scrooge in, in A Christmas Carol, you know, yeah. um, where no one else matters. Yeah, so there's a lot I, I wouldn't do. I mean, on my way up here, it's a bit of a drive. It's two hours and, what, two and a half hours from where I live to your uh, gloriously uh, flourishing little property at the moment. Must have cost you a lot of money in fuel. I did, but I won't charge you. <laughs> um, don't think about those things. And that's the point I'm making. I was, actually drove up with a, with a mate who wanted to come and, and uh, meet you and see how we do this podcast. And, and he was telling me about how he's got his own business, but uh, he's, got, he's, he's really bad at um, being a businessman because... I can he, relate to him. He, he doesn't charge people what he should charge them. He spends sometimes... I know, because he did some work for me. Um, he spends some time, too much time chatting with them um, and instead of, you know, going to the next customer. And he, and he was telling me that, that you, know, they, you know, there's been people that's crit- who's criticised him for that, you know, because he could be making a lot more money if he, if he uh, was, you know, got a bit of a mongrel in him and, and was a lot tougher with, with people and with money. But he was telling me that he wouldn't want to compromise that about himself either because that's not who he is. Um, and, and I respect him for that. And, you know, we shared some stories of my time in business and, and how I viewed business, business differently to a lot of the other businessmen with whom I had to associate because, you know, they were prepared to rip you off 200 bucks rather than develop a relationship with you and get $5,000 from you over the next, you know, few years. They just didn't care. Yeah. Um, it's just a short-term gain and there are no boundaries to what people are prepared to do for money. And, you know, why is it that there are some people like that and then there's some, which who are probably, probably the minority in my experience, uh, who have more the, you know, the attitude that we're talking about. What is it that makes a difference? A lot of it's got to be your personal circumstances and upbringing, although... We never had money when I was a kid. Money was really hard to come by. Mm. My mum was very frivolous with money. and If she had any money, she used to try and buy love from people because she felt so wretched about herself. Mm. Um, but she um, she never had any money and some kind, sometimes her generosity involved her doing things illegally to get money she didn't have to make herself feel better. Uh, I, I sort of saw all that and grew up with all of that and I've been stupid with money and I've been dishonest too. I had a very dishonest past. Um, my dad grew up in the Great Depression and his family survived on the kids being able to steal oranges and coal and mm-hmm. to keep them alive. And when I, my dad used to steal things from, you know, building supplies and things like that from council yards to, you know, if he needed gravel, he'd go up to the gravel dump on the highway yep. and get a trailer load of gravel at night and I'd hold the torch for him and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and if I ever stole anything he was in that mindset from the depression where he actually said oh that was good clever boy good on you (laughs) and of course to get my dad's affirmation there were times when I did things that were dishonest that he appreciated to give to him you know he didn't mean to do that it was his upbringing Um, but the same man had a very high moral countenance when it came to doing the right thing by people he would never steal from a neighbour 
if he stole, he stole from a council yard, which is like stealing from a neighbour. Like, we can justify all these things, but what I'm saying is he was a man who would give his next-door neighbour mm. whatever he had mm. to help his next-door neighbour. And um, the one thing he said to me about the Depression was, after the Depression, it was assumed that everybody forgave the theft that went on during the Depression because people were surviving. Mm-hmm. And most people went back and paid back when the Depression was over. You know, they, they kept a tally of the things mm-hmm. that they'd stolen and they made amends. Me, um, I used to be a notorious little shoplifter and all that when I was growing up. And even into my early adult life, I felt like I'd won if I'd walked out of a hardware store with a packet of nails that I didn't pay for. Mm. Now, if I've, if I've been charged, if I haven't been charged enough for something in a shop, I'll go back, even if it's a big department store, mm. and say, you didn't charge me for this because it makes me feel better as a human being inside. I, mm. We can't live without integrity. And I think that um, when we realise that integrity is of a greater value to us, even eternally, than money, I think that's when money takes its rightful place. It's a means to trade and, and achieve the things in life that we set out to achieve, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Money is a means to power, and people feel powerful when they have money, mm-hmm. and they feel weak when they don't have money. Yeah. Um, vulnerable, maybe? Yeah, vulnerable. My, my parents grew up in the aftermath of the Spanish Civil War, which is kind of like the Depression. Great poverty. My father... Uh, his birthday present every year was one orange. And they lived near Valencia, where, you know, Valencia oranges come from. He had never seen butter, you know, before before his mid-twenties. He'd never drunk milk. Um, So great poverty. And so my father was very tight with money, very careful. And when we came to Australia, I was, I was four and a half. You know, everyone had a telephone, but we never had a phone in the house until I was well into my teens. Why? Because it cost, cost money. People had cars. We never had a car until, again, I was well into, into my teens. I would have been 14. And um, my father always controlled the access to the bank accounts. No one ever knew how much was there. He was very hard. You know, he was a hard worker in his own way. My mother worked also all her life, but my father had the access to the bank accounts. My mother, my mother never knew how much was there, and my father would give my mother the money he thought she needed. And when my father died, we actually discovered that you know even though he he would buy his clothes from op shops and uh, you know lived in a way you know his later years. He lived by himself in, in a way that, uh, let's just say, wasn't very uh, salubrious or always necessarily, you know, hygienic. There was a substantial amount of money in the bank account. Mm. I mean, not a vast sum, you know, mm. but there was a substantial amount of money there. And, and you wonder, you know, why? Yeah. What was that doing there? And I think having grown up feeling completely powerless... And insecure, you know, um, abused by the world, I guess, at many levels. Having that there made my father feel that he had power, that he had options, that he had control. And that's where I think that people tend to go wrong in terms of money. Money is a fine thing. You need it. But when you see it as the source of power in your life, you know, the source of safety and security, I think that's the issue because 
Um, there are much more important things in life. And, you know, at the end of the day, money gives no one control over whether they live or die. Money gives no one control over whether they're happier or sadder or what circumstances they're going to face in, in, in their personal lives. People get divorced if they're millionaires or if they're poor, mm-hmm. you know. Um, children die of cancer, you know, the same. What I said in the beginning I think is so true. You are not your money. And if you pin your, your identity and your, and your hope and your strength and your power to money, you're going to be disappointed because money is only worth whatever the government says it is. How many stories have you heard of people who've won a big amount in lotto? Yeah. And they're destroyed by it within a year. Yeah, I'll tell you what. God's never trusted me with money because he's never given me a big amount. <laughs> no, well, I, I, I wouldn't deserve any trust with money because I just, yeah, I just too frivolous with it. But, you know, I spent two weeks in my early career flying one of Australia's richest men around. He was the richest man in Australia at that stage. I won't mention his name, but... He had vast empires and he was in control of so much, but I've never seen a more miserable, unhappy man in my whole life. Yeah. Always under threat and always surrounded by people who were less than authentic because there were people who needed to carry his favour and, yeah, you know, to, to uh, maybe get some money out of him or whatever. And it was, you see that happen so often. Yeah. Uh, years and years and many years ago, this is, oh, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, when I was um, presumably a high-flying businessman, um, I used to jet around the world. Um, it's, there's a lot of pretense, so I never flew business class or anything like that. Always flew economy because we we're always on a budget. But that's why I said supposedly high-flying businessman. But it was good. I did get to go around the world a few times, and uh, I, I remember that uh, quite often we'd be in the lounges, and I the airport lounges, the airport lounges there, yeah, which you'd know. Fairly well, I guess. I only see them from the outside. Don't pilots get into the airport lounges? Not really. You're kidding? No. Have you got your own special privileged? No. No. No, I sit in a tin shed on the tarmac with no air conditioning waiting for the You're next kidding. flight. Wow. That's pilot abuse. <laughs> anyway, see, we'd often be in these uh, lounges uh, because there were a lot of frequent fly points and all that that we had. And I, I travelled often with a, a business colleague and there was always an exclusive lounge that was attached to the business lounge, which was the, you know, the premium diamond platinum super duper VIP lounge. And we'd often, as we walked past, we'd peer in. People don't know that these super duper lounges are there. We'd peer in, and there was always. It was quite funny. There was always one man that we'd see. Now, in different airports, it'd be a different man, but there was always one man sitting there reading the newspaper or on his laptop. And, and my colleague would lean into me and, and say, you see that? That's the lonely club. They pay extra to be alone. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. And, and so they use their money to be alone, you know, to not be in connection with other people, to not be bothered by them. Well, I know the quest for money can make you feel very alone. Oh, absolutely, because money and relationships are often opposites, aren't they? They're at odds to each other. Because time is money. My lifestyle, my working lifestyle is very much that way. And it's akin to flying fly-out miners, for example, who Mm -hmm. spend a lot of time alone. I mean, I talk about being alone when I'm at work. I'm not by myself. I'm with a lot of people, but they're acquaintances. They're not family or friends. 
and fly in, fly out miners are the same. And they are they're out there supporting a whole bunch of stuff like I did. Uh, for example, I you know a new car would make me feel good for a week. Or, hmm. A new power tool would make me feel good for a day, and and then the credit card bill would come, and I'd feel lousy for a month, <laughs> after month after month. Yeah. And so we, you know, I I got caught in a cycle of buying good things so that I looked good, and I looked as though I had some kind of power. It's fake. It's all fake. Mm. Doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, a measure of a man is not by the kind of watch he wears on his wrist. It's by what ticks in his heart. Yeah. Not what ticks on his wrist. So should write that one down. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um, it reminds me of when I used to buy the uh, fake uh, Tag Heuer watches in in the uh, under underground Hong Kong markets, so I could look flash in my business meetings. So that watch you're wearing is is that fake? That's a Fitbit. Oh, okay. It's a genuine yeah. Fitbit, Graham. A genuine Fitbit. <laughs> but in actual fact, your Tag Heuer wasn't a fake watch. It was a real watch, but it was it might have had bamboo coil springs in it, but. It was still. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a tag Hoyer. No, but it was still a watch. Yeah, it lasts for a few months. Yeah. Did it keep time at all, or did yeah. just did it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember. I paid twenty bucks for something like that at Circular Key in Sydney when I was a kid. I never ever kept time, but it didn't matter. It looked good on my wrist. That's it. So it's all fake. Yeah. So what? What's the point? What is the point? Look, at the end of the day, I mean, I played in that world. Well, you've played in the world where you are your money. And you try to, you know, portray to others your identity through and who you are through that watch on your wrist or the car that you bought and and whatnot. But at the end of the day, that didn't give you any real power, did it, over your life? It disempowered me because I belonged to a bank and to a credit card organisation. And um, and the thing, a lot of my colleagues and a lot of fly and fly out miners will agree with the same thing. They Because they have a high income, it means they're entitled to a higher debt. Mm. And most of them live into that debt uh, yeah. to get the things that make them look and feel good because they feel so wretched. Because when they go home yep. after two weeks away, they feel like unwanted house guests in their own home. Oh well, yeah. My my kids went to a, a pretty sort of expensive private school, mm. and when I'd pick them up, you know, there was a, a queue a half a kilometre long of. Um, you know, SUVs, you know, new cars and, and whatnot every morning. And I still can't work out how people get the money to do that. And the answer is debt. It's misery. It's bondage. Bondage, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm not in bondage. I'm glad that I'm free. Yeah. And because of that, I can, be, I can be happy. Because I don't derive my identity from money. I derive my identity from God. You know, he's the one who is the power source for my life. Yep. Whether or not I've got, you know, I've got a credit card debt or I've got a million dollars in my bank account, I'm, I'm equally safe. I'm equally secure. Yep. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. And, and that means that I can afford to be generous uh, with my time mm-hmm. um, because time isn't money at the end of the day because I'm going to live forever. And if time is infinite... You can afford to be generous with it. Yeah. And every second, every minute, every hour that I live is a gift that God has given me. And it's a, it's a gift. I didn't earn it. Mm-hmm. I don't get it because I'm smart enough or because I invested my money wisely. I get it because God is good to me. He's gracious to me. Yeah. And so I can see money in a different way. I can see it as, uh, like the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evil. So money isn't the root of all evil. The love of it is. It's when we make it the center of our lives. 
money can be the biggest idol. Yeah, absolutely. The best bit of advice I ever got was when I first started working, I was an apprentice butcher and I got my first paycheck was $9. And the guy who... That must, must, that must have been in the Middle Ages. Yeah, that was in you know, 1840 or something. Yeah. It feels like that, that long ago. But my boss handed me a little brown envelope with $9 in it. Yeah. And he said, now this is your first pay. If you're really wise, what you'll do is take 90 cents out of that and go and put it in the bank. If you bank every pay 10% of what you earn, later in life you are going to be a multi-millionaire, compound interest. Best bit of advice I ever got and never took, financial advice. Mm. So when I got older and I realised that my wealth wasn't growing and I was earning lots of money, so I got into tax minimisation schemes that were all very legal, mm-hmm. supposedly, but ended up costing me more mm. when they fell over. I didn't ever invest in financial education, ever. I didn't invest in business education, ever. You know that because you've seen how I work at uh, business models and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty hopeless. You tell me I am anyway. Do you still, yeah, I'm not even going to ask you that. I don't tell you, but I think it. You think it, yeah. Mm. So for me, uh, money has always been a bit of a curse. Um, I never followed good advice. And when I realised I hadn't followed good advice, I tried to follow quick advice. Mm. There's no free lunches. No. I've learned it probably cost me over a million dollars to learn that if if it's too good to be true, it normally is. Yeah, and no, I've been a full guy for the scams. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't judge anybody who's who's fallen down that track. Um, and, and a lot of the guys I work with say that, you know, they don't get to do the fun things in life because they've got to keep working overtime to pay for all the things that they perceive they've got to give their kids and their families. Mm. But what our families really need is us. Yeah. They don't need what we earn. They need our our attention. They need our presence in their life. Sometimes, as I was saying, it's either, you know, money or time. Mm. Uh, sorry, money or relationships. Time or relationships. Yeah, time yeah. is relationships. That's right. That's right. Quality time. Yeah. At your funeral, no one's going to say over your coffin, he was a really great guy, uh, earned a lot of money. They'll be reflecting on your relationships that you built. What about all the toys you bought? Nah, someone else gets to play with them. Yeah, without paying for them. Yeah. Well, they, had, they probably had to pay for it by having to live in relationship with you because you were miserable. Yeah. That would have been their debt and they would then feel entitled to enjoy everything. They paid the cost. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the last piece of advice you can give us? Who am I to give financial advice? All I know is that the best things in life aren't things, Ellie. They're relationships. Well, that's probably it, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. Like the time we spent fishing. Yeah, it was. It was great. Yeah. Oh, but I spent the whole time sitting there with you wondering whether you were ever going to pay for the bait or the petrol. Come on. So I lost all the quality of the no, experience. Come on, you weren't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you were sitting there just uh, begrudging me catching all the fish. Yeah, that's right. You also yeah. got the smallest brim I've ever I seen. I did. In fact, the hook was bigger than the brim, as I remember. Yep. I did everything wrong. That fish must have suicided on that hook. Yep. I was due for a bit of luck fishing. I can't say you never take me fishing anymore, though. Well, that's going to wipe out about 10 minutes of every podcast we do. I know. We'll have to come up with another line now. Well, that's ruined the podcast, hasn't it? Yeah, that's ruined it. But anyway, uh, what about you? Have you got any financial advice? My financial advice would would be to draw your strength and your your security from your relationship with God. You were talking about relationships as being the most important thing. The most important relationship you can work on and spend time on is your relationship with God. Get that right, your other relationships will be right. Mm. Um, 
and uh, you get that right, and I think money will fall into into its proper place in your life. I think you need to get financially educated. You need to make wise financial decisions. All of those things are important. But when money starts to overtake uh, your relationship with God as the most important thing in your life, and it starts to influence your relationship with others, it's time to review where you're at. Yeah, That's what I reckon. There's a great line in a song that goes, it doesn't matter what you make, all that you can take is what you give away. That's it. That's Good way it. to end this uh, this chat. Yep, some of the happiest people are the ones who've given it all away. Yeah, good talking to you, Ellie. And you too. By the way, the check's in the mail. Oh, you don't have to give it back. Just keep the money. Okay. okay. God bless, mate. Catch Love you next brother. time. Bye. Love you too. Cheers. Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.